Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares talks about how to courageously follow the will of God. I don't want it when it gets hard, when the valley of the shadow of death gets so dark that that shadow is like overwhelming, that you say, well, now it's time to wander. I know the Lord's led me here. I know that this is where he set the table for me, but I just don't think I can do this. Don't let your own sense of inferiority, don't let your own sense of insecurity, don't let your fears, don't let your, your love for your own reputation get in the way of you saying, I'm gonna stick it out. Welcome to Focal Point. For a couple weeks now, we've been studying the amazing conversion story of Saul and gleaning lessons about how to understand the will of God. But the final hurdle may be the hardest step. Today, Pastor Mike Fabares reveals why it takes courage to follow God's will, and he urges you to let nothing stop you from obeying God. I'm your host, Dave Drewey. And now here's Pastor Mike with the conclusion of a timely message from Acts chapter 9 called Saul, A New Purpose. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Ananias responds, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, at the house of Judas, and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Look at verse 11. The Lord said, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Well, it's great, Ananias. I'd like to identify with you, Ananias, but I, unfortunately, I don't have the advantage of having a vision. I mean, it'd be great if I knew the, what should, Lord, what should I do with my life? Bam, that would be awesome. Because you think you're jealous of the clarity of a vision that he has. And, and here's, here's what I need to tell you. First, let's start categorically. Two categories. When it comes to God, God revealing things that would not otherwise be known. There's two categories. We think it through logically. We call it theology. One is what we call general revelation. General ways that God expresses things that are general truths. They may be specific reflections of things like the attributes of God. He does that in creation. He does that in conscience. So there are things that I can do to kind of discover a little bit about God by sitting on a beach and watching the sunset. I can learn something about God and even my, the plan for my life in some general way by looking at the constellations of the stars on a clear desert night. I can say, wow, learn something about God. I, I go generally. Then there's another category. It's called special revelation. When God particularly and specifically reveals things that would not otherwise be known. And in that category, you have all these things that you like to envy, like dreams and visions. Oh, if only I could have those. But the capstone at the very end of the clarity, the objectivity, 
the unchanging nature of God's specific special revelation, the capstone of it is his written word. Right? That's at the top of it. It's God-breathed, just to quote here for a second, a very familiar verse, all scripture is breathed out by God. Matter of fact, that'd be worth looking at. Let's look at it real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Why don't you take a look at this? All the scriptures, all of the scriptures are breathed out by God, this library of 66 volumes of God's revelation. And they're profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction. And it's going to train you, like reps in a gym, going to train you to do the righteous, good thing, to walk in the good works that are prepared beforehand for you to walk in. That, that's what it does. How sufficient is it? that the man of God may be, here's a big word, complete, equipped. Equipped for what? For every single good work. Fully equipped for every good work. That's huge. That's big. So we have to work to know God's will. And it isn't you going to sleep and waiting to hear a voice. Number two, work to know God's will. You work, first of all, by reading the book that he wrote that reveals his will. Matter of fact, it's put this way in Psalm 119. It is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Right? A lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's going to give us direction. I don't know if I should take that job. I don't know if I should take that ministry. I don't know if I should do that thing. And I'm telling you this, we've got to work hard to know the will of God. And it starts with you studying the Bible to know the will of God. We don't start with application, but we end with application every time we study the Bible. That has to be done every day in the Christian life as a practice. And guess what? Then you become saturated with the truth of God's word. And guess what becomes clear? God's will for your life. Our text says here in verse 12 about Saul, just almost says it in passing. Here's his three words in our English text, the last three words of verse 11. He is praying. You're going to go and you're going to be clear about what Saul should do. And guess what he's doing right now? Well, number one, I know he's not eating and he's not seeing but he's praying. I'm quite sure you've been knocked off your horse. You've had a career in killing Christians. Now the king of the Christians shows up, knocks you off your horse and says, why are you persecuting me? And says, go to this house. You're not going to be able to see. I think he's rethinking his career at this point. It's good to know that he is praying. Praying is always a key element in deciphering the will of God. I just want to say that as a subpoint here, work to know the will of God means you work at Bible study to know the will of God and you work at prayer to know the will of God. Again, grandpa's sermons, fine, he was right. Study the Bible and pray. But that means perhaps more than you think it does. A kind of prayer life that does this. Turn with me to James chapter one. Very simple verse, I know you know it, but let's look at a few passages here in James. You need to be praying this way. Let's start with this. James chapter one, verse five. James chapter 1, verse 5. You heard this verse before? If anyone lacks wisdom, wisdom is taking the principles of God's word and applying them. There's a genre, by the way, of Old Testament scripture called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, is, it's a great thing. It's why, as, as young Christians, a lot of us are gravitating toward Proverbs because they're just the distilled principles. Well, that's a great place to start to learn where every passage needs to get to a distilled principle. But in that wisdom, it's always like, okay, now you have the principle, and often even in, in Proverbs, here's how you live it out. So wisdom is being able to take the truth of God's word, didactic, parabolic, narrative, whatever it might be, and to say, okay, now I need to know how to apply it. You need to know how to apply it. You need to know the will of God. You need to know how you should be proceeding in your future. Well, here's what it says. Here's, 
Ask, let him ask God. That's called prayer, right? Let him ask God. Ask God. And I just wonder, even that, he's, oh, you know, you're yawning your way through this sermon. Listen, have you been doing that this week? Have you really been doing that this week? Have you been saying to God, God, I need to know what's next for me. God, I need you to tell me what it is I should be doing. God, I need you to give me wisdom. How do I apply the principles that is light and, and, and a lamp for my life and my path? Tell me how I put that to work. What's the next step for me? Let him ask. God's one who's waiting for people to ask that. He gives generously to all without reproach. And that's a good thing. It goes back to that principle of Isaiah 6. You need to be not so laden with guilt that you're not even willing to ask God for wisdom because you think he's going to say, what'd you do with the last wisdom I gave you, right? You need to go, okay, God, I'm starting over. I'm going to right now pray to you. Give me insight. Give me wisdom. And the Bible says he'll give it to you. But, verse 6, you can't waver. You can't ask without faith, right? Let him ask in faith without doubting. For anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Some of you doubt that the wisdom that you need for life is found in prayer and Bible study. Some of you think that there's other things that really should be the primary factor for you, like what your parents expect, like what your friends want you to do, like what the culture says is acceptable, like what your friends at work would say. You've got to say, no, no, no. I got to, I got to look at this and say, I need to say, God, you are the source of wisdom. You've recorded it in black and white in the Bible. And now you're asking me to pray to you that you might tell me how to live it out in my life. I'm going to ask you and I'm not going to doubt. Because if I doubt, I'm like bouncing back and forth, like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person, by the way, don't think you're going to get anything from God. Shouldn't suppose you receive anything from the Lord. You're a double-minded man, in, unstable in all of your your ways, your paths. The will of God for you is messed up. It's frenetic. Because you're not someone praying in light of scripture as to how to apply that to the future of your life. If you do that and you believe that God has got the answer and not the world, not the voices of the world, not your talk show hosts, right? Not your podcasts, not your neighbors, not your friends, but the ultimate authority and the ultimate wisdom as to what you should be doing in the future is going to come from God. You believe that, you'll be fine. But that double-mindedness, he kind of revisits that in chapter four. So turn to chapter four real quick in, in James. And this is the problem with our, our praying. We can even use biblical means with an unbiblical motive. And unfortunately, we're, we're, we're double-minded. Our double-mindedness comes from, I want God in the, in the equation, but really what I want is what I want. And he says in verse three, look at James 4, three, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And let's just go back to the thing he told us to ask for in chapter one. Some of you are asking for wisdom and clarity. I want to know the will of God. And you're not getting it because really the first point of the sermon, we really didn't get past. First point of the sermon was you say to God, I'll do your will before I even know what it is. And some of you are saying, really what I want is your blessing on my will, right? I, that's what I want. Even though the Bible says this, and Jesus taught us to pray this way in Matthew six, he said, you ought to be praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, all the earth, including my little part of the earth, including my life and my house and my room and my mind. I want your will to be done here. If you're praying that, right, then you're not saying, God, I want you to rubber stamp my desires. I want you to rubber stamp my, I want more green pastures and still waters. So give me wisdom on how to get there. I mean, that's really how some of us pray. God, give me wisdom. I want to know the will of God for my life so that I can have more green pastures and more still waters. That would be good. God, please, I'm praying just like the pastor said. You're not praying as the pastor said. 
Pastor said, we come to God and say, whatever it is you want me to do. I want to study your word to know the will of God. I want to pray to know the will of God. And I'm not double-minded because I'm not about just saying, God, bless my desires, my passions. I don't have a foot in both worlds. Look at verse four. You adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? I'd sure like to please the world with the future of my life. I'd like to please all the people in my life with the future of my life. No, I've got to say, I've got to make a decision. Who am I going to please? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, look at verse five, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Takes us back to the first prerequisite of Isaiah six. God is great. He's the Lord. He's the creator. Or to put it in terms of Psalm 100, right? He is the shepherd, right? He is our maker. We are the sheep of his pasture, right? He created us, not ourselves, so I know this, he's created me, my spirit is his, I belong to him. Because I'm a moral agent, because I'm an individual with making a decision-making capacity, I can be a wandering sheep, but God would like me to say, nope, I'm willing to please you. I'm praying with a motive that says whatever you want. I'm praying for your will to be done on earth, just like people in heaven comply joyfully. I'd like to comply joyfully down here. Be willing to do the will of God, that's primary. You gotta to work to know the will of God, and you know what, you don't need a vision to figure that out. You need more Bible study, you need more prayer. Back to our text. If God is gracious in giving you that direction, which I'm confident he will, I need you to be as heroic as Ananias and Saul. Look at verse 13. When Ananias got the instructions, he did have a little stutter step here, right? Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about this man. Know how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he's got in his backpack a little piece of paper from the high priest that he could arrest people like me. Right? He's got authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name, and I happen to be one of those people. But the Lord said, suck it up. Right? The Lord said, man up. Right now, I just need you to do it. It's all done in two letters in English. Go. Just need you to go. Go. Why? Because I'm going to give you information about his future plan. And his future plan is that he is a chosen instrument, just like you're being used as an instrument right now, Ananias. He's my chosen instrument, and he's got a whole career change coming. An instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much fun he's going to have doing that. Underline the word fun in verse 16. Do you see that? No, just like Ananias was walking through the valley of the shadow of death because he thought he might die if he ends up confronting Saul with information about Christ and revealing that he is a disciple of Christ. He says, I'm going to tell him that the path for him is going to be a bit like yours. Matter of fact, it'll be a lot worse than yours. I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for me. I know the temptation once we hear clearly the will of God for our lives is, I'm really glad. I was really sincere. I really wanted to do it. But now that I know how scary it is, I know how many enemies are going to confront me, I would like to pass. And I would tell you this, number three, you should never let fear or pain stop you. Do not let fear or pain stop you. You want an example of that? Here's the negative example. Exodus 4, Moses goes, send someone else. I think it was part of his own deprecation, his own sense of his own unworthiness, like Peter in John 21. But I'll tell you a guy who did it in a stellar way, Genesis 22. Lord, here I am, Abraham. 
Abraham is told to take his son, the only son, the son that he loved, go to the mountain, I'll show you, and there sacrifice your son. And I imagine what the conversation might have been like. I'm not even sure he had it that night with his wife, but here's what the next verse says. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took his servants and his son, and he went. I just, that passage is mind-boggling. If there's ever a morning I'm going to sleep in, I'm thinking, that's the morning. Every morning I'm going to take the long road, go drive through, get a breakfast burrito, spend my time lingering on the camel, right? It's going to be that morning. He arose early in the morning and he went. I just love, even in our passage, the Lord says, go. Matter of fact, we'll get to it next time, but verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. Okay. Was it scary? Yes. Did that stop him? No. How about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the apostle, who I hope is a beloved instrument of the Lord in your life. I just wonder when he finds out how much he was going to have to suffer for his name. I just wonder how glad you are that he did the will of God. People are depending on you staying on the track and not being afraid. Later, the apostle Paul, who knew what it was to watch guys like Ananias at the very beginning of his Christian life power through the fear and the pain, he met a guy named John Mark that was on a missionary journey with him, and John Mark goes, ah, it's getting too hard. And he bails out. And I completely understand, and I think there was absolutely nothing wrong with it, that he looks at a guy like that and goes, I cannot depend on you. When the will of God is clear in your life, you back out when it gets hard. And so when it came time to take someone on a missionary journey again, he goes, I'm not taking John Mark. There's our hope for you. If that's been your past, well, sure, there was hope for John Mark because later in the end of Paul's life, he writes in 2 Timothy, I'd like to have John Mark back, right? I don't think he was apologizing for what he did because I don't want to go and risk my life serving the Lord with people in the foxhole that I'm in who are going to bail out when the bullets get too close. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed each other in that fiery furnace because they needed comrades that were committed to the end no matter how scary it got. They answered in a first-person plural pronoun. We will not bow down to you. And I'm just telling you this. I don't want it when it gets hard. When the valley of the shadow of death gets so dark that that shadow is like overwhelming that you say, well, now it's time to wander. I know the Lord's led me here. I know that this is where he set the table for me, but I just don't think I can do this. Don't let your own sense of inferiority. Don't let your own sense of insecurity. Don't let your fears. Don't let your, your love for your own reputation get in the way of you saying, I'm going to stick it out. Are there course corrections? Sure, there were. That divine appointments sermon with Philip and the Ethiopian unit, we talked about that. There are times when God opens a door, you walk through it, he'll close the door, have you walk out. But that, I'm not talking about circumstantial closed doors. I'm talking about if you know God has called you to something in your life, I'm just saying do not let fear, do not let pain, do not let suffering get in the way. Aren't you glad that Ananias did it, even if he was scared? Aren't you glad that, that Saul did exactly what he should have done, that when they told him in Ephesus, you're going to suffer and go to Jerusalem and they're going to bind you, you're going to be arrested. He goes, I don't care. I count my life worth nothing to me, but only that I can finish the course that the Lord has set for me. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, he was the ultimate one to live that out, wasn't he? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he lived out something that I just want to point out that maybe a passage you don't think of very often, about the Lord that is spoken of in Hebrews 10 when he was 
being incarnate. He was given a human body. That's the, the, the point of the, the passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. It, it says that when Christ came into the world, one of the things it says about Christ, and it's quoting Psalm 40, it says that the Lord said, so it's picture the Son of God saying to the Father, say, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as was written of me in the scroll of the book. Christ had a prerequisite, foundational, presuppositional, absolutely affinitive, just resolve to say, I will do the Lord's will. Then it got tough in the garden because he thought about the fact that not only would he be stripped naked and hung on a Roman execution rack outside the city of Jerusalem, but that God the Father would take all the sin that you deserve to be punished for and lay it on him and that he would become a guilt offering. He had all of that in view and he said, this cup, if there's any way, let it pass for me. But, you know the passage, not my will, but yours be done. We can hail Abraham. We can even, in the end, hail Moses for doing what he should have done in the end. We can hail Samuel. We can, we can hail Isaiah. We can hail Ananias. We can be really excited about the Apostle Paul doing the will of God. And I want that to be the motivation for you to stay on the path of doing the will of God. But all of it is trumped by Christ who said, I'm here to do your will, O Lord. I'm here to do your will, O God. I will do what you want me to do. And when the worst possible suffering, pain, fear gripped him in the garden, his end resolve was not my will, not what I want, but your will, what you want, be done. It's the only reason any of this makes any sense. I don't want to spend the rest of my life giving up my dreams, my hopes, things I wanted, and I had plenty of dreams for my life. To be doing stuff that I know God wants me to do, I don't want to waste my life doing this. If at the end of my life, None of it matters. If I get cast into outer darkness and suffer eternity away from God, or if it's all done when I die and it's just done, why would I waste any time on this? But the only reason doing the will of God and following the good shepherd down a path of good works ordained for me, ahead of the only reason that ever makes sense is because Christ did the will of the Father and took my sins and atoned for them. And because of that, we can say, okay, let's go out and do what God asked us to do. Let's not deviate from the path. Let's not fear. Let's not have pain. We're going to do the will of God. And if I don't know what it is, I'm going to start by saying, I will do it, whatever it is. And then I'm going to study the Bible and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to discover the will of God and I'm going to do it. You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Fabares, and the conclusion of a message called, Saul, A New Purpose. This message is the middle part of a sermon series called Amazing Conversions. To listen to the full-length version of this message and this series, please visit our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, today is Valentine's Day, and people everywhere are celebrating love. And while you may not have planned to spend this evening digging into Bible study and sharing the gospel, when you really think about it, giving the gift of the gospel is the most loving thing you can do for someone. And reaching people with the gospel is at the heart of our mission here at Focal Point today and every day. We broadcast this program on more than 800 radio stations across the country and worldwide to reach, teach, and train followers of Jesus Christ. And I invite you to help share these messages of God's love with more and more people by sending in a generous donation today. We rely on God's provision through listeners just like you. So please support this ministry by giving to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or online at focalpointradio.com. 
www.ghostbusters.org. And to thank you for your support this month, we'll send you a compelling collection of A.W. Tozer's classic sermons titled Men Who Met God, 12 Life-Changing Encounters. Tozer digs deeper into the stories of men who had the tremendous experience of walking and communing with God, some in the coolness of the afternoon, another through a burning bush, and one in personal discussion. And it's our gift to you when you give to Focal Point. Get in touch today by calling 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back again tomorrow for a new message in our series, Amazing Conversions. We'll be exploring Saul's new challenges. That's coming up Thursday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.